Father God, we thank you so much for today, and Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to come and be reminded of the truth of your word and the truth that you are faithful, that you never leave us or forsake us, and that you have been true through the generations and will continue to be. God, I pray for Alicia as she comes that you would just quiet her heart and that the words that she shares with us today would be yours. And I say all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, Liz. Good morning, ladies. How are we? Are we awake? Kind of. (laughs) How many fall lovers do we have out there? How many of y'all love fall? Oh, my goodness. Y'all, I I love fall. Um, It's one of my favorite seasons. And unfortunately, I moved from Kansas, um, grew up, was raised there. And then when I moved to Texas, I realized that fall was only two weeks in Texas. I mean, literally... November to maybe beginning of December, and that's all the time I have to enjoy my favorite season. But one thing I like about fall, it's not just like the ambiance, but I do. I love the pumpkins and the holidays and the the fires and the fireplaces. I start those up when it's like 70 degrees. Um, But one of the reasons I love fall so much is it gives me an excuse to drink coffee, more coffee than I normally have. Because let's face it, when you drink it in the morning, it's okay. But, you know, by the afternoon, if it's still cold, you can still drink coffee. Um, And And so the other day I was um, on social media and I saw this slide um, and it's an inhaler with a Starbucks sticker on it. And it says, for when white girls can't even. And I, um, I really laughed at that because unfortunately I do relate to it. (laughs) And inhalers are also called rescue inhalers because when you can't breathe, um, they bring medicine directly into your lungs and um, they help you breathe. And But it's a temporary fix. And right now I'm fighting a cold and so that would sound really nice to me. But ultimately I know that an inhaler will not heal my cold, right? It's just, it's, um, it's just a Band-Aid. It just makes me feel better temporarily. And when I think about something like Starbucks or anything else that we might go to for when we can't even... Um, You know, that is usually a temporary fix unless we are breathing in the breath and the life of God, which is the healer, the ultimate healer of our souls. And so that is why we're here this morning, ladies. That's why we're coming to Bible study. That's why we're spending time with him. That's why we're learning more about who he is, because he is the breath in our lungs. Um, so this morning, can I have you turn with me to Exodus thirteen seventeen, where our story um, will begin this week. And I have titled my talk, The Red Sea, Fear to Faith and Freedom. Fear to Faith and Freedom. And most of you, I would venture to say, are familiar with the story of the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. It's a very familiar story. In fact, it's talked about more in the Bible than even the Passover itself um, and among the Jewish people. And so um, I am going to briefly run through the story with you. And there's three things that we're going to focus on. Um, it is God's freedom plan for, number one, the Israelites. So we're going we're gonna to sprint through the story in case you aren't familiar and you didn't get a chance to do your Bible study. Number two, we're going to talk about God's freedom plan for the world. We're going to take a step back and look at how this story, this narrative is a paradigm for the gospel. 
and it's really, really neat how we see that. Um, and number three, we're going to talk about God's freedom plan for you and I, his daughters, because there is a lot of application points in this that I love. So we're going to camp on that. Um, so let's start out. God's freedom plan for the Israelites. Okay, we uh, our story takes off. Um, we talked about the Passover last week. Uh, Sue ran us through that. And the people have now been released to go into the wilderness to worship God. Pharaoh's like, I've had enough. Get out of here. I am um, completely done with and done for. Egypt was in shambles, right? And so he's like, get out of here. So the, the, the Israelites gather their plunder uh, from the Egyptians and they head out into the wilderness. And Moses is, is, is guiding them and leading them. But they also have a pillar of God came down as a theopany. Remember we talked about what a theopany was. It's a manifestation of God in a physical way that we can see him. And so this is a theopany. God is coming down as an angel of the Lord in the form of a pillar that's going to be light by night so that they could travel in the wilderness by night. Because in the wilderness, it's probably going to be hot. So I imagine that when they're traveling, they're going to want to travel a little bit at night. So God provided that for them. And then during the day, the pillar was going to be a pillar of a cloud to shade them. So right away, we see God is looking out for their needs. Okay. And then when they, when they leave Egypt, the direct route to Cana would be a northern route. I mean, they're, they're right there at the north. But God takes them in an interesting path that doesn't make sense to us, to the Israelites, or even to the Egyptians. He takes them south. Okay, and there's two things that I read about this that I thought was interesting. One reason he did this is because he didn't want the people to be afraid of all the warring that was going on with the Philistines. And so right away we see that God is looking out for the people because he didn't want them to be frightened and scared of all the the warring that was going on. And then the second reason he took them south is because he was trying to entice Pharaoh, come get my people. You know, he wanted Pharaoh to think these people were lost and confused. And so he was going to take them on this path that Pharaoh would be like, what are, what are they doing? These people don't know where they're going. They're supposed to be going to Cana and they're way down south. And so there was purpose behind what he was doing, although it did not make sense to the Israelites at that time. And I think it's interesting that in, on one hand, God didn't want the people to be afraid and to be frightened. But then again, he also took them south and and took them to a place where they would be trapped by two mountains and the sea. And then he knew the Egyptians were going to come after them and he knew they would be frightened by that. So on, on one hand, there are certain fears that God protects us from knowing that they would be unnecessary. And then there are certain fears that he allows knowing that they will strengthen us. And don't we have a good God that understands us that well? Okay, so the people come down, they go south, and he, they, they, he leads them, and then he turns them back around. So it really does look like to Pharaoh that these people are lost and confused. And it says, for the glory of the Lord, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. And now I'm thinking, well, you know, all these plagues, didn't God have enough glory You know, didn't he harden Pharaoh's heart enough to display his glory? And evidently not. There was something that he was still trying to do. And he was still trying to manifest his glory through what he was about to do. 
and what he was about to allow. And I want you guys to hold on to that idea that three times he says, for my glory, I'm going to do this because we're going to come back to that, the glory of God and why it is necessary and why we should want it. Okay, so he brings them down and Pharaoh comes after them. And the people, it says, were marching out boldly and defiantly and confidently. And then all of a sudden they look up and they see the Egyptian chariots, over 600. It was 600 of his best, but it was over 600 chariots. And he sees, they see them coming at them. And right away, their bold, defiant um, confidence turns to fear. It says they were frightened. And I know myself that when I am confident and then it quickly turns to fear, that it's usually because my confidence and my faith was built on flesh. And it wasn't built on the confidence and faith of the Lord. And this is what happened with these people. And they were trapped. And God did this on purpose. And then the the people looked over and and they complained to Moses. And they said, why? Why are we here? It would have been much better if we would have been in Egypt. I mean, at least we were fed. At least we wouldn't die. I want to go back to that way of life. And that was their reaction. And God tells them three things. He says, fear not. Because he knew they would have a tendency to be frightened. He says, stand still. Because he knew they would have a propensity to try and do something. And then number three, he says, see the salvation of the Lord. Because he knew they would be distracted. And then Moses cries out to God. And God says, what are you doing crying out to me? You know what to do. Raise your arms up and he is going to part the seas. And that's what he did. But God moved his pillar behind the people at this point. They were going to have to step out in faith. They, they didn't have this pillar to guide them anymore because he was going to protect them from the Egyptians in the back. And he opens up the sea and it says they crossed over on dry land and it was walls of water. He didn't want us to guess that maybe this was just a happenstance, that it just, um, you know, was a, a typhoon that blew through, or maybe they were weeding through the reeds or, or swimming or whatever. No, he wanted the people to know and for generations to follow that this was a supernatural act of God. This was his hand that did it. And so he says they passed through on dry land. And I don't know if you would have been one of those people that walked through and been like, oh yeah, my God is bigger and greater than yours. Look at the whale, look at the shark, woohoo. You know, or if you would have been one of those people that walked through kind of like, oh, get me through this. You know, I probably would have been one of those people. <laughs> um, no, but uh, he, he managed to get all those people through. And then the Egyptian chariots in the hardness of their heart um, followed them in when the pillar came off of, uh, in front of them. And I don't know if they didn't realize that they were going into the water. Maybe it was darkness to them. Uh, It doesn't make sense if they would uh, go in um, knowing that this God that had basically annihilated their land um, was, was working for them and fighting for them, but they did. And, and they followed them in there and then, and then God caused their wheels to get stuck and the waters collapsed over them and the whole army was destroyed. And now finally the people were liberated and free. Because if you can remember, they were to go in the, in the wilderness for three days and worship God. But now they were completely free. So this is, in a sense, the, the final plague. And the people glorified God. 
Remember, that's what he wanted in the beginning. They glorify God. It says that they, they feared the Lord and then they, they believed God. They trusted God more. Their faith increased and their faith and trust in Moses. And then they, then they sang this worship song to him. So what about God's freedom plan for the world? Okay, so we're going to take a step back and just how Sue beautifully walked through the Passover. And we saw the symbolism of Jesus being the Passover lamb. There's also great symbolism in the Red Sea crossing, and I love it. And this is what God does in the Old Testament. He gives us all these stories that kind of leave us expectant, expectant, like something's coming, something's coming. And then in the New Testament, Jesus comes, it's like, oh, I get it. You know, it's finished. This is sufficient now. I'm no longer expecting this thing. And we see the thread of this just weaving throughout Scripture. And, and, and let's, just, let's look at each piece and each person and, and see the symbolism. So first we have the Israelites. And they represent you and I, God's chosen people that absolutely don't deserve God's grace, right? That he is taking to the, to the promised land, and he's giving freedom. And then we see the Egyptians that are going to represent evil and sin and oppression and Satan himself as Pharaoh, okay? And then we're going to see that they're in the midst of, of two mountains that are hindering them from escaping on their own to get to the promised land, which I'm going to say are going to represent our unrighteousness and our self-righteousness, our sins do not allow us on our own to get to the promised land, right? God had to provide a way, didn't he? And he did provide one way. He opened up the sea and he used his mediator, which was Moses, who was fully human, but could communicate with God, representing Jesus as he opened up his arms just like this and the sea was parted the way to the promised land, our internal inheritance. Are you guys seeing the picture of this? Okay, and then one last thing, and I don't know if you noticed this. What does he tell the people? He says, your job is to stand still. Guess what? Guess what we add to salvation? Nothing. He says, no, you see the salvation of the Lord. Your job is just to stand still and let me do it all. And yet they still had to walk through in obedience and faith, didn't they? Does that remind you of what God did for us when he, he created this way for us that we could not add to? We couldn't swim across the water. We couldn't, we couldn't open up the seas. We couldn't get over the mountains. He had to do it all. He said, you just need to stand still. There's no works you can do to add to your salvation. And I just think that's a, a beautiful reminder in every single way of this story. It is impossible for us to earn favor of God. And this, this is a statement that should absolutely set us free. It is impossible for us to earn the favor of God. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus and to think that we need to do anything, it cancels out the cross. So what about for us? What is God's freedom plan for us? Because if you're like me, you have Red Sea moments in your life every single day. 
And often we have Red Sea moments that are bigger than others, that we feel like we're in a place that maybe God himself has brought us to that we don't see a way out and that maybe he's removed himself from our vision and we're like, where are you, God? I had one of those days a couple weeks ago where I felt like God had taken himself out from in front of me and I felt like I was on shaky ground. But every day we have circumstances and trials and situations that we can't, we can't figure out on our own and we have to completely, completely be dependent on him for. And so what does he tell us to do? And I'm a checklist type of girl, so I really like it when God spells it out really clear for me. And so I loved this because this is his, and I'm gonna say it's his battle plan for us in those Red Sea moments. He tells us three things. Number one, he says, fear not. Fight fear with fear. And what does that mean? And we're going to talk about this. Because he knew they would be frightened. Three times in chapter 14, he mentions the word fear. In verse 10, he says the people feared greatly. Verse 13, God tells them to fear not. And then in 14, verse 31, at the end, it says the people feared the Lord, Yahweh, and they believed in the Lord, Yahweh, and his servant, Moses. And so right away, you see this theme of fear. And obviously, one, he's telling us we need to have this type of fear. And the other, he's saying, I don't want you to have this type of fear. So we know they aren't the same thing. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. But 1 Peter 1.17 says, Conduct yourself with fear. And 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of of God. And so you see this dichotomy throughout scripture 300 times. It, God encourages us to fear not. Okay, over 100 times. Oh, sorry, excuse me. He says the fear of the Lord or fear God is seen over 300 times. Fear not over 100 times. So what is the definition of fear? Fear is an emotion aroused by threatening evil or impending pain, accompanied by a desire to avoid or escape it, apprehension or dread. This is what the people were feeling, right? I mean, that defines them completely. Todd often says worry or fear is thinking that God may somehow get it wrong. And depression is believing that he did. Worry is thinking that God may somehow get it wrong. And depression is believing that he did. You see, I want to I say this because I think often we think about Philippians 4 as be anxious for nothing. We're human. We're going to feel emotions, aren't we? We're going to feel sadness and joy and worry and fear. Even Jesus Christ himself, before he was crucified and he was in the garden praying before God, he felt great anguish. In fact, he sweat drops of blood. So I want you guys to take that burden off your shoulders that you will never feel fear. If you are following the Lord, you will absolutely feel fear. And that is not a sin in and of itself. But what happens is the enemy wants to take that and he wants us to entertain our worries and our fears. And he wants us to wallow in the mire of it. And he wants to bring us down and oppress us 
with this fear and worry. Okay? You see, feelings are real, but they're not necessarily reliable. And I know you guys have probably heard that before, but feelings are real. And this, this story is a great example of it because the Egyptians came in confidently, didn't they? And what happened to them? They perished. The Israelites came in afraid and scared, and in God's graciousness, they were saved. And so these, these feelings that they had were, were very real, but that wasn't the reality of what happened. Worry is just a symptom of, of weak faith. And so trials, it says in James 1, 2, we're supposed to count them all joy because that is how God authors and perfects our faith. And so this is why we count trials joy because he is trying to increase our faith and decrease our fear and our worry. What about the fear of the Lord? Now we see this phrase a lot in scripture, right? What does it mean? I think it's important we understand what it means. A total acknowledgement of who God is by knowing him and his attributes. Okay, so hang with me on this. When we understand who God is, we can understand more of who he is when he, he takes us through these trials, right? Because that's how he manifests himself, And that's how the people ended up with fear of the Lord because he revealed some of himself to them through that trial. And when we understand the character of God, which is why we're focusing on how he reveals himself throughout Exodus, remember all the names of God, and we see these played out throughout scripture. When we understand and we take that in and we know him more, our faith improves and our fear of God is increased. You see, Jesus is both righteous judge. He has holy wrath, but he has unexplainable mercy. His sovereign authority, but yet overflowing grace. We look at the pillar as a great example because he is a pillar of light to those who are being saved, but to those who are perishing, he is darkness. And this is our God but he is both worthy to be feared and glorified, but also redeemer and captivator of our hearts. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, but uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this book, and there's also a movie. And um, we see Aslan as a, a representation of God, and he's this lion. And Mr. Beaver, a character in the story, was asked, is, is Aslan safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe. Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is king, I tell you. And that is God. Of course he isn't safe, but he is king. You see, the more we know him, the bigger he will seem to us. The more we will fear him. And yet the greater love and protection we will feel because of it. Proverbs 31, are you all familiar with that? It's this, the, the chapter of this godly woman that we're all supposed to strive to be more like, right? And then we all fail miserably. And it, and it has all these character and qualities of this woman. And at the very end, in verse 30, the summation of it is that she f- had fear of the Lord and she was greatly praised for it. So shouldn't we want to understand more of who God is, his quality and his attributes, because that's how we fear the Lord. I gave you guys a paper 
with benefits of the fear of the Lord. And I was absolutely blown away and overwhelmed. And I didn't even get all the verses on there of, of the benefits of fearing God. I mean, blessing, salvation, beginning of wisdom, increased confidence, how we are praised, we're accepted, spiritual riches, honor, life. I, you guys, when it says in Psalms 34 that we will lack nothing when we fear the Lord, I believe it. Because this is crazy. This is amazing. And so I, if I were you, meditate over the scripture this week and ask God to help you fear him, help you know more of who he is so that all these things can be added unto you. In Psalms 34, 4, 7, and 9, it says, I sought the Lord Yahweh, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Fear the Lord Yahweh, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. They lack nothing. And right away you see, you see this. Um, in math, there's a term called the law of inverse proportion. I don't know if we have any math people in here. Um, but it basically means when one thing goes up, the other thing goes down. And so what I want to toss out to you is that when our fear of the Lord goes up, our unholy fears, those fears that take us into those places of oppression and worry and anxiety go down. And when we're worrying, usually our fear goes, the fear of the Lord goes down. And so we see this relationship here, and that's how we can kind of marry that dichotomy of what God has said in the scriptures of fearing not, but yet I want you to fear me. You see, godly fear protects us, but satanic fear imprisons us. Godly fear protects us, but satanic fear imprisons us. So how does faith fit into this picture? Because also at the end of the chapter, we see that not only did the fear of God increase for the people after they went through this Red Sea, but also their faith and their belief in God was amplified and increased. Faith is a settled trust, settled trust, and confidence in God based on his character and promises as revealed in Scripture. Does that sound like fear of the Lord? It's based on his qualities and his attributes. And so right away we see there's a direct proportion of faith to the fear of the Lord. When fear of the Lord goes up, faith goes up. When faith goes up, the fear of the Lord goes up. Okay? As opposed to ungodly, unholy fears that God wants us to avoid, that spirit of fear going down. The antidote to fear is faith expressing itself through the fear of God. I want to know what the antidote, the, what, what the medicine is to worry and fear, because I struggle with that. So when he says the fear, the antidote to fear and worry and anxiety is faith expressing itself through the fear of God, I'm going to pay attention to that. Okay, I'm going to try and tie it all together for you guys. God three times said, I want my glory manifest, right? I told you guys to remember that. Think about it this way. God allows a trial. He allows a Red Sea moment in our life because he wants his glory known. Why? Is he just this cosmic power out in the universe that just wants 
wants to just wreak havoc on us for his glory. Yes, but let me tell you something. This is a good thing. He's taking us to trials for his glory. And when his glory is manifest, he reveals more of who he is and his attributes. And when his name is revealed and his glory is revealed and his attributes are revealed, what goes up? Faith, because that's what faith is. And, And then fear of the Lord goes up. And then when fear of the Lord goes up, what happens to us? We lack nothing. So why wouldn't we want his glory manifest? Why wouldn't we want to go through trials? That's why James 1 says, I count it all joy when I go through trials because Jesus, the author and perfect of our faith, is is trying to, to create that inside of us. And it still doesn't mean it's not hard. It was hard for the Israelites to step out in faith. That, that doesn't make sense that God's going to open up sea, the sea. But God was going to provide freedom for them. You see, suffering is one of the most loving things God does for us. He pulls and he presses us into a love that sets us free. And then we live free. And what are we free from? We are free from the approval of men. We are free of of having to earn the favor of God. So that's just fear not. (laughs) Number two, point number two, he says, stand still. Stand still because he knew they would try and do something. So what does standing still mean? Does that mean you're just planted in like this and I'm not going to move and God's just going to transplant me to the other side? No. But I'm going to tell you four things that it is not. Number one, it is not giving up, retreating, or shrinking in despair. I think about my, my dog when, when he's in trouble and he, he, and he knows it and, then, and he gets on his back and his legs are up in the air like, I give up. <laughs> That's not what God's saying by saying stand still. Number two, it is not retreating, and this is what the Israelites wanted to do. They wanted to go back to their way of oppression, to sin. And, and I don't know what that is to you. I don't know what's in your inhaler that are, you're trying to breathe in for that quick fix, for that quick rescue that is not getting to the source of the problem. But that's what the Israelites are wanting to do. And, and, and standing still is not retreating to those things. And it may be social media for you. In those times of of Red Sea moments, like that's where you want to go because that seems easier than stepping out in faith. Maybe, Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's food for you. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you turn to your friends instead of God because it's easier. I don't know what that is for you. But that's what, that's what the Israelites were wanting to do. You see, we're, we're either Satan's slave or, or we have divine captivity. And God says, Galatians 5, 1, for freedom of Christ has set us free. Stand firm, stand still, hold fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, because this is what this is. This is what, what these sins are that we run so close, that cling so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter 
of our faith. Have you guys seen the connection in all of these verses? The sin that hangs so closely, because this is what Satan does. He says, this is easy, come, come to this. This is tangible. Faith sometimes isn't tangible. It's an endurance race that we have to focus our eyes on Jesus for. The crossing the Red Sea seemed a lot harder in that moment to them, and they wanted to retreat back. But that's not standing still. Number three, standing still is not urgency. And oh, ladies, I struggle with this one. I don't necessarily... I don't necessarily retreat sometimes, and I don't always give up, but I'm trying to fight for the control myself. It's internal turmoil. It's like, I want to do something. I want to add to this. I want to do it with my own understanding and my own ways accomplish this, and I am not settled. And it's bondage to a stronghold of internal turmoil, worry, anxiety, lack of peace and joy, self-righteousness, self-reliance, and striving. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about with that? (laughs) I was on a run the other day. It was more like a jog. (laughs) And um, I ran across a little bird that was trapped in plastic netting. And that's not something I normally see every day, along with the fact that I don't normally jog every day. So I I stopped and I bent down. And um, it was an adult bird. And I I didn't know um, if it would bite me, but I didn't want to leave it there because I knew it would die. And it was really tangled up. Like its wing was tangled up and its arm and, you know, it was like flapping around. I don't think it had been there very long. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to sweat dripping down. I'm going to try and um, untangle this bird. And so um, I was trying to, to loosen it. And it was just fighting me. And I found myself talking to it. And I was like, buddy, I'm like, I can't get you out of this. I can't free you if you fight me. And it's like he heard me, <laughs> and he stopped moving, and I, uh, and I was able to unloosen him. And um, he flew off, and so I started back on my jog, and I was like, God, you know, what am I supposed to understand about what the situation was? And in my blindness, I, I didn't even see it at that moment that God revealed to me because he loves me and he loves you guys, and he knew you were going to hear this. But he wanted to tell me, listen, Alicia, when you fight me, when you're trying to do all this stuff on your own, I cannot set you free. I can't set you free. You got to trust me. I can loosen this. You just need to stand still. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, trust in the Lord with your whole heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, (laughs) Yahweh, and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord. There, There it comes up again. You see, divine wisdom does not equal human intellect. We need to be quiet and let him do it. Number four, it is not presumption. It is not presumption. And presumption, basically, I'm just going to give you an example of this. And it's for this overconfident person, the overzealous, those of us that think we have a lot of faith. Um, and, and the best example I can think of is Peter. You remember when they came to arrest Jesus and the servant of the high priest, Malchus, he cuts off his ear and Jesus picks up his ear and puts it back on, on Malchus and said, Peter, this is not the way. You see, Peter was trying to do something that was not according to his, his will and in his time. Moses did the same thing when he killed the Egyptian, right? 
this was not God's will that he was supposed to kill the Egyptian. This is not his way of how he was going to um, rescue his people. So this is a presumptuous attitude. Ready, aim, fire. Doing it without waiting for the Lord's timing. And we, we can't confuse presumption for faith. Sometimes we do that. And sometimes he just asks us to wait in prayer. But on the flip side of that, sometimes God gives us the way and he gives us direction and obedience. And then we say, well, I'm just going to pray about it. And I think that's what God was admonishing Moses for. When, when Moses was crying out and God says, go, I've, you know what to do. And I think sometimes we do that because we don't want to go. Well, maybe I should pray about it a little bit more. So what is standing still? It is active faith that stands resolved on his word, his promises, what we know about him and who he is. It doesn't mean not going. They still went. God delights in a faith that cries out reasons and then responds. Okay, number three. He says, see the salvation of the Lord. You see, he wanted them to understand that they needed to pay attention when he was going to glorify himself. Why? Because that's how they were going to understand more of who God was, which is how their faith was going to increase, which is how they were going to learn to fear the Lord. So he's like, I want you to see how I do this. Be watchful, take note, pay attention to detail and be sensitive to the Lord. Ask God to waken up your spiritual nerve endings. Because sometimes I think we miss it. Sue has a great idea. She has this uh, sightings of God book that she's had for a long time. And in those moments where we feel like the pillar goes behind us and we can't see God, what a great idea to go back and, and remember what he has done, not only in his word, but what he's done for you to be faithful, to fulfill his promises. Because sometimes he does that on purpose because he's wanting to build our faith. He wants us to see him through those sanctified aff- afflictions and those trials of life. Our greatest good and satisfaction is achieved when he is most exalted. C.S. Spurgeon says something. Before we get to that, I want to remind you that Jesus said um, that when we go through refining fires, uh, what happens? We experience a purification, right? And, And in Matthew, Jesus said, the pure in heart do what? They see God. I see the relation here. He's taking you through the fires. He's taking you through those Red Sea moments because he's wanting us to be purified so that we can see more of him. C.S. Spurgeon says, the smooth road has little encounter with the revelation of God. The smooth road has little encounter with the revelation of God. So what? If we're unsaved, my prayer for you is to understand there is nothing you can do to earn your way to freedom to the promised land. We must follow that one path that God provided, that one way. If you are saved, but you're facing those Red Sea moments, um, fear not, stand still, and see. Because trials manifest the glory of God, which improve our faith which are improve our fear of God and our understanding of who he is, and in that we lack nothing. When God asks us to obey him, fear him, seek him, share him, honor him, and surrender to him, serve him, be refined by him, and glorify him, it is always for our good. 
We would not desire to serve a God not deserving of such. The same fear that compels us to obey, to tremble at his word and honor him as Lord Yahweh is the same fear that comes as the result of the perfect standard of the God who would then love us enough to give up his everything for the sake of our everything. We desperately needed a Lord of both glorious perfection and holy righteousness and a sacrificial love that would never be deserved. The same God we feel most vulnerable to is the same God we feel most protected, loved, and comforted by. Without the fear, we would not be secure. Without the respect, we would not have the response. Without his holiness, we would not have his righteousness. Without his mighty power, we would not have his sufficiency. Without his perfection, we would not have his redemption. Without his glory, we would not have his worthiness. Without his sacrifice, we would not have hope. Without his law, we would not see our inadequacy. Without his mercy, we would die in our sins. Without his light, we would be lost on the path. Without his word, we would have no map. Without his spirit, there would be no guarantee. Without his resurrection, there would be no access. Without his son, there would be no relationship. Without his creation, we would not exist. Without his beauty, no thing to enjoy. Without his timing, all things would be chaos. Without his blood, no life undeserved. Without his love, we would still be striving. Without his mighty hand, no shelter to rest. Without Yahweh Lord, both perfectly feared, loving and kind, no meaning or purpose would we ever find. (sighs) Father, Lord, Yahweh, we do thank you, Lord. We thank you for our trials. And even though they're hard and we don't always understand why you allow us to experience moments and times in our life where we feel like there's no way out. But we know you do it for our good. And so we ask God that you would reveal to us yourself so that we can learn to fear you so that our faith would be increased, Lord. And so, Lord, your glory would be manifest. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you cared enough about us to rescue us and to free us from oppression to sin and to guide us to our internal inheritance, Lord. Lord, I pray for this time in our small groups, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight.